Show me. Uh, we'll start in Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs chapter 18. I am. I'm doing the Sunday school this morning because Pastor Legault is preaching at another church today. Uh, at least for the morning services, he's covering for a pastor who's been sick for about a month. So, uh, if you would uh, keep him in prayer. Uh, normally, Brother Larry does this, but I felt mean because he's got to combine last week's lesson that the kids heard and this week's lesson that they're hearing right now. And I said, that's a lot of info. And he's also preaching in junior church this morning. So I said, don't worry, I won't be that mean to you. So uh, Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 24, your memory verse from a couple weeks ago, a man that hath friends must show himself friendly and there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And uh, so ultimately, uh, we're talking about friendship and David and Jonathan, you've been leading up to uh, in Sunday school. Uh, David and Jonathan uh, are one of the great pictures of friendship within the Bible. Uh, you and I cannot, cannot live as an island. It, it doesn't work well. People are not designed to be alone. Uh, you get the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter uh, 1 and chapter 2. God is making man and he creates Adam and then he says it is not good that man should be alone. It's just not normal. Mankind is not designed to be alone and to be an island and to be isolated. Uh, often causes people all sorts of other issues, depression and anxieties and different things that go along with being alone and being isolated and, and not having any of that contact with other humanity. Uh, it's just not natural. Uh, it's unnatural for people to not have friends, but uh, especially among Christians, we understand that having friends is an important part of what we have in the church and within the church. There ought to be friendships. There ought to be people who are willing to be friends and to be uh, able to talk and to be able to have fellowship and be able together. Uh, Jesus Christ, of course, himself has friends. He's got the 12 apostles and they follow him, right? And you go, well, they're just the apostles, but they're his closest friends. You find Peter, James, and John are with him. They're close with him. They walk with him. They know him. Uh, they understand him uh, as much as they could. Uh, true friendship ultimately uh, is centered around Jesus Christ. And in order to do that, uh, you've got to go ahead and be friendly. He that hath friends must show himself. Uh, there is no other way to gain friends than for you to be friendly. Well, I don't have a lot of friends. Are you friendly? <laughs> Are you, I, people go, well, I'm just really introverted. Yeah, but you can still be friendly. Uh, you can still say hello to people. You can still talk with You can shake their hand. You can say hi. You can ask them how they are. You can just be a little bit friendly. I say, well, yeah, but that's not part of my personality. Okay, but the problem is there are certain musts in the Bible, <laughs> right? We all know you must be born again, right? We need that one. Well, I, you know, what if I don't really feel like it? Doesn't matter. <laughs> if you want the end result of salvation, you have to do it that way, regardless of what other religion you have. Whatever other ideas you have, there is only one way that works. You must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how it works. You must be born again. There's certain musts in the Bible. Uh, this is another one. He that hath friends must show himself friendly. That's just how it is. If you can't figure out how to be friendly, you might want to start learning. If you don't have any friends, that's kind of the idea. Uh, but those friends ought to be able uh, to be good 
uh, good and right friends. And so we're going to talk a little bit about David and Jonathan. And then uh, this morning we're also going to cover uh, the tragedy that is Saul and Jonathan and their demise. And so let's have a word of prayer and we'll, we'll get into the lesson this morning. Father, I do thank you for the day and thank you for the goodness and the mercies of a holy God. Thank you, Lord, for just being wonderful to us. Lord, your mercies, your grace, your care of us. Father, I do pray that you would bless the services today. I pray that you would work and, Father, be able to speak to hearts. Lord, I pray you would bless in every facet, Lord, of the things that are happening between the Sunday school hour, the morning service, junior church. Father, all of our nurseries and classes today, that everything would be done to the praise and the honor of the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone. Father, we do love you and we pray you would come back soon. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you would turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 20. 1 Samuel chapter 20. And you have ultimately a great example of friendship between David and Jonathan. And many of you uh, know these two men and and you know about this friendship. But uh, we'll take a few minutes to take a look at it. I want to move through it rather quickly. Uh, so we can get to the second half as well but, uh, of the lesson. But he says in sec, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 20 and verse 1, And David fled from Naoth uh, in Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is mine iniquity and what is my sin before thy father, that he seeketh my life? And he said unto him, God forbid that thou, thou shalt not die. Behold, my father will do nothing, either great or small, but that he will show it me. And why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. And David sware moreover and said, Thy father certainly knoweth that I have found grace in thine eyes. And he saith, Let not Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly as the Lord's soul liveth, there is but a step between me and death. Uh, Ultimately, these two men, right, they've grown together. they've, They've become friends. And we all know Saul's trying to kill David. Uh, that's, it's apparent throughout. And Saul is trying to kill David. Jonathan, of course, is here and he says, oh no, he's not trying to do that. He wouldn't do that without telling me. And David's reply is, he would. <laughs> he would do that. Uh, there's a level of honesty that is there between friends. Real friendship is honest with each other. Uh, you can be honest with them. Even when you know that uh, they don't, aren't really going to like what you have to say about it. Uh, Jonathan was the son of King Saul. Uh, David is supposed to uh, become the king, uh, but uh, he becomes friends with Jonathan. David becomes completely honest here. He tells Jonathan the thing that Jonathan really doesn't want to hear. There's no way my dad would do that. There's no way my dad wouldn't tell me. There's no way he wouldn't. And David's going, yes, he's he's hiding it. Uh, He's hiding it from you. You need to know. Uh, Good friend. Uh, is someone who you can turn to for advice and you can trust them. Uh, You get that in Proverbs. Proverbs is replete with things on friendship. Uh, You ought to be able to trust somebody. They also will be somebody who uh, will keep things confidential. They don't tell everybody all your problems. That's a good deal right there. Uh, You ought to have some people. I've got some pastor friends of mine. You know, things going on in the church, different problem, different thing. They have no idea who anybody is. I can call them and I can say, hey, brother, I'm dealing with this issue right here. What do I do? What, what do I do? Good counsel. And you know what they're not going to do? They're not going to go talk about everybody. At every, they don't know you. They don't want to know you. Not like that. They don't want to know your name and go, hey, that's that guy. That, that, is that the guy you were telling me about? They don't want to know any of that. 
good friend. He doesn't want to know any of that. You know what he wants? He wants to be able to help you. And so you can be honest. You can open up about those things. You can open up about problems you're having. You can open up about issues that are happening in your life. Uh, and they'll keep those things confidential so that they can help you. Honest counsel also strengthens your friendship. Iron sharpeneth iron, right? Proverbs 27. So a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friends. Uh, you can be honest and so honest that you have to come to blows almost. Get that, little, that, that rust knocked off. Get that edge back and understand what they're trying to do to help you know how you ought to behave yourself. Good friends will do that. Sometimes people think that, oh, well, you know, if you tell somebody the truth, you're not a very good friend. That's the only way you can have a good friend. They'll tell you the truths that nobody else can. That's why faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Uh, they can be honest and tell you the things you need to hear, and you won't be injured and go ahead and hate them for it. <laughs> they can be honest. They can be open. Willing to tell you what other people will not tell you. You want to know who's going to be a good friend? Someone who will tell you the truth, even when they know you won't like them. You'll get upset, and you'll be unhappy, and you'll do all those things. But you'll know they love you. A parent that doesn't tell the truth is someone who's going to cause problems for their child. A friend who doesn't tell the truth will cause problems with their friends. Guaranteed. Honesty. Uh, not only that, but verse 4 down to verse 7, you see, uh, Jonathan says to David, Whatsoever thy soul desireth, I will even do it for thee. David said to, unto Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit with the king at meat. But let me go, that I may hide myself in the field until the third day at even. If thy father at all miss me, then say, David earnestly asked to leave of me, that he might run to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the family. If he say thus, it is well, thy servant shall have peace. But if he be very wroth, then be sure that evil is determined by him. Uh, there's, there's a mutual aid that goes on. A true friend goes ahead and helps uh, and goes ahead and aids somebody even though it looks kind of strange to them. Uh, they'll go ahead and point out and help and be there to help them understand what's going on in their life. They'll be there to go ahead and talk through things. They'll be there to be the help and the strength that somebody needs. And so he asks of him and he says that he'll do it. He's helping each other out to make sure that the welfare of that, of that friend is protected. Uh, there's, there's not only that, but there's also a commitment uh, that shows up in verse number 14. And thou shalt not only while, uh, not only while yet I, sh I live, show me the kindness of the Lord that I die not, but also thou shalt not cut off thy kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord hath cut off the enemies of David, every one from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, Let the Lord even inquire at the, it, it at the hand of David's enemies. And Jonathan caused David to swear again because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. They make an agreement right here. And the agreement is ultimately that Jonathan knows David's supposed to be the king. Right? Jonathan knows David's going to get it, and the enemies of David are supposed to die. Uh, if a king takes reign and he takes it from another family, the other family is gone. They're dead. Uh, that is why you get the story of Mephibosheth. You get the story because of Jonathan. You get the story because Jonathan made this covenant with David and David promised. And so what does he do? He goes ahead and fulfills his oath to do the, do the right thing. You can make promises and keep your promises with your friends. 
That's a good deal. Uh, you ought to have friends that keep their promises. And they go ahead and do what they say they're going to do. David goes ahead and he finds Mephibosheth out of everybody. Everybody else is dead. He's just trying to find somebody that he can show the kindness of God to. And they finally go, isn't there somebody left of the house of Saul that I can do something for? Why? Because of this oath right here. This was the promise he's trying to fulfill. And he fulfills it. Uh, not only that, but there's also loyalty. Verse 30 down to verse 34. Saul's angry against Jonathan. The son of the perverse, rebellious woman, do not I know that thou hast chosen the son of Jesse to thine own confusion and unto the confusion of thy mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse liveth upon the ground, thou shalt not be established, nor thy kingdom. Saul's worried about his son and for his kingdom. He wants his name to keep going. Jonathan instead answers in verse 32, Wherefore shall he be slain? What hath he done? And Saul cast a javelin at him to smite him, whereby Jonathan knew that it was determined of his father to slay David. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and did eat no meat the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had done him shame. Uh, the loyalty that he has is to his friend. Uh, he chooses the right thing. David, notice, David's in the right. And he can choose his friend. Not only are they talking about the problem, right? They're talking about the issue. They're going ahead and going, hey, you know, this is the problem. They're honest about that problem. They can tell each other the truth about it. They can go ahead and try and help each other out, knowing and trying to get to the right answer. And when they get to the right answer, they're loyal to the answer that is there. They understand David's supposed to be king. They understand how this is supposed to go. And Jonathan is loyal to that, even against family. And there's an issue right there. You know what happens to people? People go, well, it's my family. I have to know. <laughs> Think about this just for a moment. Is the Lord Jesus Christ always right? Absolutely. Well, then if your family goes against him, you better be a better friend to God than you are to your family. Those are, those are the decisions. You say, well, you don't know anything about that. Then you don't know about my dad. <laughs> My dad made some dumb choices coming down the line. Say, so why did he do that? Because he made some dumb choices. Because he's human. Say, oh, you're speaking poorly of your dad. No, he made some bad choices. You say, well, you know, you could have just stood with your dad. That would have been dumb. He was wrong. He was just flat wrong. Say, so what do you do? You choose right. You decide, hey, I want to be friends with the Lord and his crowd, so do that. When people are wrong, it's okay. They can be wrong. But that doesn't mean you have to follow them. You, you stay loyal to the Lord, and he'll be a, a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. But then you'll find that the people that stay close with him will be, be the best friends you'll ever find. That's just how it works. Uh, there's a genuine care that goes along with it. Look at uh, verse number 41. And as soon as the lad was gone, David arose out of the place toward the south and fell on his face to the ground and bowed himself three times and kissed. And they kissed one another and wept one with another until David exceeded. And Jonathan said to David, go in peace for as much as we have both sworn, uh, we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord be between me and thee and between my seed and thy seed forever. And he arose and departed and Jonathan went into the city. 
uh, David and Jonathan realize that they are going to have to separate. Uh, they, can't, they can't keep the friendship close like they had been. They can't meet up. They can't have any meetings and try and talk that way. Instead, they had to, they had to separate because of, because of Saul and what he was trying to do. And so uh, they go ahead and, and they do. And when they part, uh, they're, they're highly emotional. Uh, we try to hide our emotions from our friends. We try to hide our emotions from everyone. And all that does is cause issues. <laughs> they don't know that you care. People need to know that you care. Real friends, you know what you can do? You can be real. Uh, it's funny. Oftentimes, uh, when we're around certain people that we aren't close to, what do we do? We guard all those emotions. We, we put up that wall in between. We, we go ahead and we put up those defenses and we want to be guarded and we don't want anybody to see that and we don't want anybody to know that. But there are certain people that you and I both know you can, you can be real with. You can let all those things down. You can go ahead and cry and you can go ahead and be angry and you can go ahead and be all whatever it is you need to be. And you can do that with them because they're a friend. I had a friend of mine yesterday. He called me. Uh, a pastor friend. He's an associate. Uh, and uh, I would dare say none of you know him. All right. Uh, I'm almost certain of that fact. And uh, he called me and uh, he's been going through some problems and some troubles and some trials. And you know what he said? He said, I can't, I can't tell anybody in my church this. <laughs> I can't tell anybody in my family this. It's kind of this thing. <laughs> and I can't tell you the situation. I wouldn't. And, uh, but he's going through a lot of different things, a lot of areas, a lot of aspects, a lot of things. So what was he looking for? Somebody to be a friend and tell him the truth. <laughs> Somebody who's outside the situation has no idea and he can just vent a little bit <laughs> first and then have somebody bring him back down to reality and say, hey, listen, the Bible says this and this is how you ought to behave yourself and this is where he says over here and if I were you, this would be the best advice I can give you and the Bible says and you need, to, you need to keep things in focus. Say, what do you do? You have people you can be honest with like that. You could just be straight honest, but you can also go ahead and show them that you care. And they care. And they're willing to go ahead and work through that friendship that way. And even when they're going to be separated, David and Jonathan know the other loves them and cares about them and wants the best for them. In verse 42, you also see that the Lord is ultimately the thing that binds them. He is at the center of what is happening. They have the Lord be between me and thee and between my seed and thy seed forever. The thing that is holding them together is the Lord. It's not, it's not the fact that they both like to do this. It's not that they're both great warriors. They were. Jonathan was amazing. David is one of the best warriors that was there. It wasn't that the two of them are amazing soldiers that brought them together. It was the Lord that brought them together, and they knew it. We may have a lot of things in common, and that makes it easier for us to be together. But the one main thing everybody has in common is the Lord Jesus Christ is our Savior. The one thing that draws you closer to Him, or to each other, is that you draw close to Him. As we get closer to Him, 
we ultimately get closer to each other. Our things come together that way. The thing that stays between us and the thing that holds everybody together in our friendship ultimately is Jesus Christ alone. Which is why we have to be so careful of the friendships and the bonds that we make. Because oftentimes we get friendships over other side things. We get them over hunting and we get them over sports and we get them over, you know, this and that and, and just things that we like. And we get those friends and we start to draw close to them and that's okay. I, it's not bad to have a friend that you just, you get to talk about one thing with. But when they become all of your input and they're a lost person, they're not going to be good. The relationship is based upon the wrong thing. The friendship is based upon the wrong situation. The wrong mixture is in there. Our closest friends shouldn't be lost folks. They just shouldn't be. You say, why? Because they don't bring that one piece that you and I need the most. We need the Lord in our lives. And if it, it's the idea of a wonderful gravitational pull. <laughs> what you gravitate toward. And if you're constantly moving away from the Lord to get close to somebody who's not the Lord and doesn't have their center of gravity over toward the Lord, it will always pull you farther away from Him. That's just how it works. Well, no, I'm going to draw them in. No, you won't. <laughs> Almost invariably, if they become a close, close, close friend, you won't be able to bring them in. They will gladly pull you out. Often we, we talk about this stuff with kids and with teenagers especially. We talk about their friends and their influences. And I think oftentimes adults just completely forget all the things they taught their kids. And they don't recognize those people are not good people. <laughs> well, yeah, but they're really nice. Okay, but they're not good people. <sighs> the Lord is not part of their life. The Lord isn't. Uh, any idea of part of what their decision making is they are lost people making the best decisions that they possibly can and they may be moral decisions but that does not make them good people that makes them people who have decided that they're going to try to do some good things let's face it if you just want clean living go ahead and make friends with all the mormons and the jehovah witnesses go go take it up with the amish and go take it up with the they're probably cleaner living than everybody in here. But are they going to draw you close to the Lord? Well, no, because the Lord isn't what they really care about. There, there are Catholics and all the other, you can just keep naming groups, and there are people in those groups that are cleaner than we are. They live more righteous in the eyes of the world than you and I would. And they are no closer to God than... Any other lost man. They don't have a relationship with him. And so allowing those influences, family and friends and close, close acquaintances that you're going to keep bringing in and bringing in is the things that we must guard against because they're not going to be good friendship and they will affect your friendship that is ultimately the best friendship you have, which is the Lord. And so you, you, you have to make those distinctions. There are certain types of friends that won't help our relationship at all. And the truth is, 
that some people crave friendship so badly that they will take whatever person would give them any attention. And those are terrible friends. Well, what do you try to do? Well, there's certain friends that go ahead and, and they may be saved. They may be perfectly going to heaven just like you and I, and they're on their way, but they choose to live their life where God does not enter into the equation. They still live as if they're a practical lost man. They live that way, and you watch them, and you know the decisions they make. Well, then the choice is yours. Do you really want that? They're not being honest. They're not living the way they're supposed to live. Most of the time, they're unwilling to take criticisms. Most of the time, they're unwilling to do what they're supposed to do. They're standing at odds with God because they're not living the way they were supposed to live. And we take them in as this great friend because they, well, I mean, they're saved. But that does not make them good to be a friend. They don't live up to the right standard of what being a good friend is. You have to be able to choose and figure out who puts God first. Is the Lord part of this? Is that going to be all right? Because otherwise your friendships will fail. And when they do, it won't be very shocking. Because God was not involved at all with the decision that was made. He's not part of their decision making. And he's not part of... You, ultimately, you find that he's not becoming part of your decision-making because you're choosing to go against him when you choose the wrong friends. There it is. Look over at 1 Samuel chapter 31. 1 Samuel chapter 31. That's why he says friendship with the world is enmity with God. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It's replete with warnings about who we let close and who we let influence us and who we let go ahead and drive our thought processes. Do you ever recognize when you're around people who are seemingly more godly and more spiritual and, and just you think they're way better than you? It elevates how you live. It elevates what you think about. It ele when the Bible and, and the Lord are the things that are being discussed and talked about and reasoned out, you find that your thoughts are so much higher than they were before. Why is that? Because you're focused on the one thing that is going to bring you higher and move you up in your Christian walk. Good friends can make you into a great Christian. Uh, notice here in 1 Samuel chapter 31, we'll continue on. Uh, time has gone. As you can tell, uh, we move forward in time here. And ultimately, David, uh, David has run. He is hidden. The Lord has protected him and protected the people. And the Philistines and Saul are about to uh, go to war. Uh, the Philistines are fighting against Israel here in verse number 1. And the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell down slain in Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines followed hard upon Saul and upon his sons. And the Philistines slew Jonathan and Abinadab and Melchishua, uh, uh, Saul's sons. And the battle went sore against, Jonathan, uh, against Saul, and the archers hit him. And he was sore wounded of the archers. Then said Saul unto his armor-bearer, Draw thy sword and thrust me through therewith, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and abuse me. 
But his armor bearer would not, for he was sore afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell upon it. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he fell likewise upon his sword and died with him. So Saul died and his three sons and his armor bearer and all his men that same day together. Ultimately, Saul becomes the exact reaping of all the things that we understand. Uh, the carnal mind, uh, of course, for, the, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Saul's carnality, his idea of going ahead and doing what he thinks is best, his uh, pride and arrogancy to go ahead and earlier go ahead and not kill everybody he was supposed to kill, to go ahead and, well, keep the sacrifices and go ahead and blame the people and do all those things and God removes his Holy Spirit from him, takes it and says, okay, no, I'm done with you. I'm going to rend the kingdom from you. It's going to be taken Instead of Saul repenting, instead of Saul getting it right, instead of Saul fixing it, instead of Saul even caring about getting it right, he goes ahead and continues on the course that he is running in selfishness and in self-driven motivation for his greatness and ultimately shakes his fist toward God and God has already abandoned him. God's left him. God's like, nope, I'm done with you. Walks away. And Saul's still trying to act like he's got it. Isn't that amazing? You ever seen anybody like that? It's all over with. You know it's over with. Everybody else knows it's over with. God's not in it anymore. And they still act like they've still got it all. And you look around and you're like, he doesn't even know he doesn't have it. He thinks he's still got it. You watch people and... You know, in the physical realm, you know, uh, I'm a big, I'm a big baseball fan. Of course, I watch baseball for you know my entire life, and you watch some of these guys and some of these pitchers. They get into old older ages, you know, for being a pitcher. They're you know up around my age trying to pitch, and uh, and so here they are, and they're throwing, and their fastball is not a fastball anymore. Right? They're, they're throwing minor league fastballs now. They used to throw 97, 98. Now they're throwing 88, 89. And they still think they can do it. They still reach back like, I'm going to still throw 95 miles an hour. And they can't do it. And they suffer and they get pounded on. And they wonder, well, what happened? I mean, there was such a great fall off from last year. What happened was time. Time happens. And they don't even realize it. And they think they can still go out and do exactly what they did the last time. And here's, here's Saul, and you know what he keeps doing? He keeps going out like he's going to do it like he did the last time. Oh, we're going to go out, we're still going to be victorious, we're still going to win, and he's living off the blessings of the past. He's living off the fact that, you know what, he's still king because God blessed him and made him king. And he still thinks he gets all the power that goes with that. And the truth is, God's already said, I'm done. Israel goes out to battle, and you know what happens? What happens is all of his sons die. Saul, of course, is hit. He's wounded. He is, he is forced, ultimately, to understand he is either going to be captured or they're going to kill him. His thought is, if they, if they get me, if they take me, they're going to do abuse to me. <laughs> 
of course, you're the king of Israel. They've wanted you for a long time. I mean, this is the nation of the Philistines. This is, you know, David's great triumph of taking out Goliath. Philistines have always wanted to wipe out Israel. And now here they are and they get their king. You know, and he's probably right. He's probably right. They're going to take him. They're going to beat him. They're going to make fun of him. They're going to do all the things. They're going to parade him. They're going to torture him. And then ultimately they'll kill him. But they're going to make him, they're going to make an example of him. That's what they're going to do. And Saul knows it. So he says, you know what? Uh, armor bearer, go ahead and kill me so that I don't have that shame put upon me as well. The armor bearer refuses, so Saul takes his own life. The armor bearer sees he's dead, so he goes ahead and takes his life. All of Saul's kids are dead. All of Saul's greatness is gone. He falls on his own sword, and the answer is that the tragic life of, Paul, of Saul is completely left with the ruin of pride. I can still do it. And the Lord says, no, you can't. Without me, you can do nothing. And he goes ahead and thinks he can still do it. And so instead, wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. And Saul goes out and you know what he does? He falls. He thinks he's got it, but he doesn't have it. We get a lot of practical Lessons ultimately from the life of Saul on pretty much how not to live. Uh, <laughs> Saul is a great example of failure. That's what he is. He's a wonderful example of it. Uh, notice uh, you get a lot of things. We won't turn to all these places just for the sake of time. Uh, but we learn very quickly that great sins start very small. He becomes impatient. Right? He doesn't wait for Samuel. He becomes very much uh, uh, unwilling to completely obey. He just wants to skirt it just a little bit. That doesn't seem like much. He goes ahead and decides he's going to make some excuses so he doesn't have to go ahead and... Well, I mean, the people are... I mean, they wanted me to sacrifice. I mean, the people wouldn't let me kill the king. The people did... You're the king. What are you talking about? <laughs> you have all the authority to tell the people to shut up and do what you were supposed to do. <laughs> you have the authority of God telling you what you should do, Saul. Come on. But he won't. And he makes excuses for it. He chooses those things. Pride is the foundation that he goes, that he goes ahead and builds upon. He's got a little bit of leaven. That leavens the whole lump. And he starts to love money. And power. You can see it. I got these trophies in this battle. I've got the money. I've got the power. I've got the status. I don't need anything else. Once that sin gets in, people go ultimately from bad to worse. It starts off small and it goes right down that and it starts building real quick. And Saul gets to be so wicked, he's trying to kill the anointed of God who is supposed to take his place. He's ready to kill his own son. He makes so, such stupid decisions that when Jonathan goes ahead and gains them a victory, but because he took honey and he wasn't supposed to, even though he never heard the order, Saul's ready to kill his own son for disobeying. That's crazy. <laughs> but that's what he is. 
that sin just builds and it builds and it builds. If you're not right with God, we will not get along with God's people. You learn that real quick. If you can't get if you can't get things get along with God and you can't stay with him and you can't work with him and you can't have him be a close friend to you, you know what you'll find? You'll find God's people aren't going to be close friends of yours. David is a man after God's own heart and Saul can't figure out how to get along. And David's not even trying to take the kingdom from him. David has the kingdom, it's his for the taking and he refuses to touch Saul. He refuses to put his hand down and go ahead and kill him. He won't let his guys do it. He's got his mighty men there. He go, they're going, we'll kill him for you, Saul, David. If you want Saul dead, we'll just take it. And he goes, don't touch him. Don't touch him. Don't touch him. That is crazy. Your greatest enemy is right there. You can take his life whenever you feel like it. And he says, nope, I'm okay. I don't need to do that. God will take care of that. I don't need to do that. And God takes care of it here in chapter 31. You'll find out that you don't have fellowship one with another until the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses you from all sin. They didn't get back in fellowship. But until then, you're walking in darkness. Excuse is no substitution for confession. Making excuses and trying to make it look good and make it sound good and trying to excuse your actions are not the, is not the same. It is not the same as going, yep, you got me, I'm guilty. So how do you know that? Because that's what happened with David. He got caught, yeah. He got found out. But going ahead and making it, well, you know, I mean, if she wouldn't have been on that rooftop. No, David, if you would have gone to war, you wouldn't even have seen her. David, you didn't have to ask about her. David, it is not good for a man to look upon a maid. How about you look away? How about you see the problem and go, oh, I better not stay here. Go back inside. Well, no, no, no. You, you just don't understand the pressure I'm on. Saul makes excuses. David asks for confession and, and repents and turns. Whole lot different. God deals with people differently if they'd confess their sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Then he goes ahead and tries to confess it late. You're already paying the punishment. No good. Natural gifts and abilities without the power of God. That's a pretty good one. You can have all the natural talent in the world. You can be the best at whatever. Makes no difference if God's not in it. You don't have the power of God on you. Uh, I was just uh, talking to a friend of mine, and uh, we, know, we know a guy mutually, uh, and uh, he's, at, he's bad Bob. He's, he's literally, he's bad Bob. He's the one who, Bob Nagalski is his name, and uh, a friend of ours. And I met him a couple of times, and he's, he's, he's just an odd fella. And uh, odd background, biker, mean, terrible life. Now he's saved. He's been he's pastoring for forever. He's retired now. And uh, he just, he preaches different. And the statement my buddy made was, he goes, hey, have you ever heard Bob preach? And I said, no, I've, I mean, I've seen him and stuff, but I've never heard him preach. He goes, if you were, if you were to go ahead and just critique him on his outline and all the things, awful. 
<laughs> this is terrible. <laughs> Trying to follow him on an outline, you'd, you'd be lost. He goes, but the one thing you know is he's got the power of God on him. <laughs> you know that tells you? It doesn't matter how great you are at all those other things. You don't need to be able to alliterate everything and make everything look good and have everything be perfect and in order and all the things. All you need is God to show up and do what he does. You don't have to be a great public speaker and you don't have to have all these things. You just need God to go ahead and step in and do what he does. Because sometimes, you know, the scary part is we were talking about it, Brother Gabe and I were talking about it while he was here uh, this past week. You can, you can write an outline. I can write an outline all day long. I've done this for long enough. We could just, I can throw down an outline. But if God's not in it, my outline doesn't do much. And it could be the best outline I've ever written. It could also be the worst outline I've ever written. And if God's in it, it would be the best thing I've ever preached. I have, I have a message I did uh, forever ago. And I've got to hurry up. But uh, I, did, I did a message. Some of you might remember it. It was terrible. Like my outline, literally, I used it as an example in the preaching class of what not to do when you hand me an outline. Because it was a page, it had one line down the middle. On the left side, it had the lad with the five barley loaves and two small fishes. And it had the prodigal son on the opposite side. And it just had the verse reference of the, two th of the things that they did that were completely in contrast. That was my outline. It was terrible. I preached it. You say, was it a great success? I don't know. People were at the altar. The Lord used it. You say, what does that mean? That means you can be awful at things. <laughs> as long as God's got it, he's got it. He'll accomplish that which he wants it to. Every time. The thing he sent it to do, that's what it'll do. Uh, there is no substitute for obedience. You cannot get out of the fact that obedience is required. The scary truth is God does not want a substitute for obedience. He wants obedience. Every time. He just wants us to obey Him. You can try and substitute something else. You can try and slide something else in there. You can try and act like nothing else matters. You can try and go, doesn't work. It never, ever works. Instead, you know what you need? You need Jesus Christ and you need to obey Him. What He tells you, do it. Learn from, learn from Mary telling those servants, whatever he asks of you, do it. That's it. Nothing more and nothing less. It's a whole lot better. He learned to obey is better than sacrifice. Obedience is always better than sacrifice. Jonathan goes ahead and he dies as well here because of his father's sin. We learn very quickly that a father's sins always affect his children. visited on to the third and fourth generation. A father's sin always affects his kids. But note this, a father's godliness will also affect his kids. You, you get both sides. Uh, oftentimes we preach on those negative sides and we preach on beating all those things up and hey, you know, it's awful, it's awful, it's awful. If you're awful, your kids will be awful. And you just... But the truth is, if you're godly, you'll also make them into, affect them to be godly people. That's normal. If you want to live godly, you say, well, does it work every time? No, but train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Start coming around again when they're a little older, they start figuring some things out that you 
actually may have known some things. Say every time? No, that's just kind of the rule. There's always exceptions to rules. But boy, it's nice when they do get it and don't live in all of your mistakes. The truth is, be careful who you go ahead and take a stand with. Jonathan goes ahead and he has to separate from David. He stays with his father. And in doing so, he goes to this battle. And in doing so, he dies. He falls with his father. Who you join up with, you could be included in their fall. No man liveth to himself, and it's certain no man dieth to himself. But, once again, the contrast. You get around godly people that are standing up and doing right. You can have some great success. Because somebody else was standing and doing the right, right things. And last of all, be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Who you get around. There is no mistake. Evil communications corrupt good manners. The more you communicate, the more you have dealings with people who are wicked, the more that you allow all those things in, the easier it is for you to be corrupted. And they, I, I said it earlier, with the friendship and those things, when you let that friendship, when you let those things do that, when you go ahead and you know what you'll do, you'll do exactly what they do. Because evil communications corrupt good manners. That is a promise. And not a very good promise, but it is a promise. You go ahead and understand that you do not have, you do not have the right to have communion and fellowship with darkness. It's just not how it's supposed to be. It will be your destruction when you do. It will always cost. And so that is the life of Saul and Jonathan with, at their death. And uh, once again, I'm going to close up right there. And uh, hopefully it was a help. Lord, I do thank you for the morning and thank you for your goodness and your mercies. Pray you would bless the services today. Bless everything that's said and done that Jesus Christ would be high and lifted up. Lord, I don't know if someone's going to come in today that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, but I pray if they do, today would be the day of salvation. They'd call upon Jesus Christ alone. Father, once again, we love you and we pray your hand would be upon us and that your soon return would be today. In Jesus' name, amen.